Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam... hey oh, How we doing? Doing alright, though I, I've had a startling revelation. I do need to share it with you. Okay, startle me. We don't rank these stories alphabetically. And our intro implies that we might. <laughs> well... I mean, isn't it more just a pun on the fact that my name starts with an A and your name starts with a Z? I think people are smart enough to get that, right? I hope they do. But as I said it out loud, it did bother me (laughs) because we more rank them based on the quality of the C's from best to worst, uh, which is different than alphabetically because I don't know what I don't know what alphabetically the first story on our list would be. Hmm. Uh, Astonishing but, X-Men gifted. Uh, oh, wait, no. All new Wolverine um, is starts. With okay. AL. Yep. There so, we go. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know if there's a real shorthand way to say what you want to say. So I think we should probably just stick to the A to, a to Z uh, concept for the moment. What do you think? I mean, I'm fine with that because I've already memorized it. Okay. I think we got to get into this because this episode is really making me uh, despise a certain character, and um, I need to get into this. <laughs> a certain character? Are you, are you talking about? Are you talking about Magnus? I am. I am talking about Mr. Eric Magnus Lencher himself. Talking uh, about Max Eisenhart? Yes, dude is real annoying in this episode. So um, I'm eager to to dig into this. Yeah, uh, guys. This is essentially going to be uh, an interesting episode. In fact, it's we have we've got a uh, we've got a new accolade that has been sent our way from the heavens. Uh, we have we have recently been rated the number one podcast for reminding you of all the problematic things that Magneto's done. <laughs> yeah, this is the Magneto as a fascist hour. Um, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. How did we get onto this topic? Well, uh, we got onto this topic because Classic X Books went on over. That's 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 his name. Went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He tossed in some money into our old coffers, uh, you know, keeping keeping uh, keeping us fat, dumb and happy. And in return, we are we are gifting him with a story built around his suggestion, a story in the form of a podcast episode. And do you know what his suggestion was, Adam? Uh, our, a story in which I am very disappointed to tell you that uh, Magneto is not a dinosaur. And that is Magneto <laughs> Rex. <laughs> you know? There's got to have been dinosaur Magneto before, right? Like... I don't know. I don't know. But we definitely not only need a dinosaur on the X-Men, but we need dinosaur Magneto at some point. I mean, even if just I've been playing Mario Odyssey recently, and there's this great part where you can uh, throw your hat onto a T-Rex and become the T-Rex. I just want to see a T-Rex with Magneto's helmet. I think that's reasonable. What what game did you just say you had been playing? Uh, Mario Odyssey. Super Mario Odyssey? Where he like throws his hat around. 
It's fun. No, I'm I'm aware of the concept of Super Mario Odyssey, which is the oh. way that people say that word, Adam. Do what you did say I say? Mario? You are Mar- such a Mario? New Jersey guy. Yeah, Mario. That's the most New Jersey thing I've heard you say on this entire <laughs> podcast. Hey, it's a Mario. It's a me, a Mario. <laughs> I'm not Italian, by the way. I'm just doing it my doesn't matter. That's <laughs> this is Magneto Rex. Uh, this was a three-issue miniseries from 1999, written by Joe Pruitt with art by uh, Brandon Peterson. And mm-hmm. boy, howdy. Is this a thing of comics? Adam, yeah, how how familiar are you with the uh with the Alan Davis late 90s run on X-Men? Uh not very much at all. I mean, honestly, I, I wasn't reading the book at this point. So um, you know, this ascendancy to uh King of Genosha, if you will, is is you know, I really only know about this, I guess, from Eve of Destruction. Or are we Yeah? Eve of Destruction is the uh, is the end of this entire epic. So right, right. In Alan Davis's run, there was the Magneto War, mm-hmm. which was the time that Magneto said, "I'm going to flip the world upside down and flip the polarity of all the poles." Great and, idea, Magneto. Great idea. And the UN, the United Nations, did decide based on that. Well, our best solution for dealing with Magneto is to give him a control of a war-torn country that has specifically had very legitimate and like huge issues with racial uh racial uh slavery i mean slavery uh between humans and mutants so yeah. let's give a mutant supremacist a violent mutant supremacist with the means to flip the world upside down let's give him control of this island and see what happens yeah, it's a great idea. Guys, it doesn't go well. So, yeah, Magneto, uh, Magneto's in charge of this island. And it's not great. This is the story of what happens when Magneto lands on the island and starts to be king. Yeah, he's got a little council with him. Uh, he's He's been assigned this little team of Philip Moreau, who's the son of the engineer, Jenny Ransom, uh, and Pipeline. Um, there's also sort of a human dignitary here and there's a plot here that involves Quicksilver being abducted by a leader of the rebels. Uh, these, these mutant people who, I mean, this is one heck of a nineties pastiche villain. I mean, like not a lot going on here. We're talking about Zealot. This is Moreau's brother, right? Who we didn't realize he had a brother before. (laughs) Yeah. His secret mutant brother, Zealot, who has ambiguous earth powers yeah i guess he can make like the earth come up and swallow you um sure yeah he was a he was a boss in x-men legends 2 and that's the most i know about him i think he got more characterization in that boss fight than he does in this actual issue yeah he's a real like dumb looking character he's got the mutate outfit um and so he's bald like the rest of the mutates but he's wearing this like really stupid ear over the ear thing that then comes with all these tassels i I don't think it's hair i thought it was hair for the longest time like yeah i think i think they're just ribbons or or something along those lines it's very strange now to be fair zealot does bring up a pretty valid point of hey uh magneto's not from genosha magneto has nothing to do with genosha why should magneto be in charge of genosha 
which I think Zealot's right in that particular argument. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could definitely see why uh, Magneto should not be in charge of this particular uh, nation state. Um, But at the same time, it doesn't seem like anybody really has some good ideas here. And um, there are acolytes hanging around. Fabian Cortez is here for some reason. Amelia Vote doesn't really seem on board, but she's here, too. That's pretty much her MO, though. Um, yeah. There's a new robot sidekick that Magneto has. Um, oh, yeah. He's had him. <laughs> he's had him. Are you talking about... A, oh, crap. What's his name? What's uh, his name? Uh, uh, hold on. It's a pun. Or Ferris. Ferris. Yes. Yeah. Also, Rogue is here trying to say, well, me and Magneto almost, almost hooked up this one time. So maybe I... Maybe I can make him good. Yeah, that doesn't go so well. Doesn't go well at all. Rogue no. does not make this happen. Why do people keep pushing this? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand it either, but it's something that just kind of stretches throughout the 90s. And I think it's basically just an affection for that uncanny storyline uh, around 275. I feel but like even more than that, it's, uh, it's affection Age for Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. where yep. they had a kid. And that's cool. But Age of Apocalypse was very specifically a bad future right we should be avoiding that yeah so we get you know like you know your out and out parallels that uh magneto is once again becoming a fascist yeah we should we should we should mention for people uh just due to the nature of these being stories about magneto taking over the world and the certain parallels that other writers are going to draw with this and his history uh there's may there's going to definitely be some Nazi-based content here that might make some people uncomfortable. And if that's not something you want to hear and not something that you need in your day right now, I get it. We'll we can we can catch up next week. We you'll figure out we'll post online where these things get ranked like we do every week. Um that being said, it does bring up a very interesting question as to why. Uh, writers continue to bring this character back to this place, which we're going to see repeatedly um, in in this particular episode. But like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I I think if you're going to put Magneto in charge of Genosha, there's much more interesting ways that this story could go um, that are, that are more fun than him just being an out and out supervillain. Right. I mean, I mean, literally, Two of the first things Magneto does taking over this island uh, are set up concentration camps mm-hmm. and enslave all humans uh, for yeah. not being mutants. So that's that's an issue. He also kicks out all the humans and force all the humans that he can't use as slaves. Mm-hmm. He kicks them out of the country. So Magneto does a lot of terrible, terrible things. And the I mean, the obvious parallel that people are drawing is to magneto's history of you know having to go through the holocaust and auschwitz and all this absolutely horrible real world stuff and i understand that it's tempting to say you know let's draw these parallels and let's kind of do some more or less ironic reflection of magneto as a character into becoming the thing he hates Mm-hmm. The thing that made his life terrible. And I, I can, I get that, but it's not done well is the problem. 
No, there's no nuance here whatsoever. And it really does drive me nuts when writers do this because it, it just strikes me that Magneto comes across as being an idiot, you know, like if we're to believe that Magneto is this nuanced, super smart, super villain, then he knows better. You know what I mean? So to have him continuously go back to the trough of mutant supremacy, um, it it just doesn't work in my, my mind. I I don't like this aspect of the character when writers force it. This is, this is very nineties Magneto because uh, for as much nuance as Chris Claremont had for eighties Magneto, 90s Magneto flipped that switch and said, hey, guys, the Silver Age was great. I'm going to blow up the ocean. (laughs) Right. And that's 90s Magneto, like, pretty consistently. Even at his most nuanced in the, you know, Mutant Genesis, the first three issues of uh, X-Men Volume 2, he's still a pretty bad supervillain who's causing, like, EMPs to go off and all this stuff. Uh, Fatal Attractions, he kills thousands of people. Mm Mm-hmm. He, he just murder so many uh in magneto war right before this he threatened to destroy the entire world unless he got his way like my three-year-old would (laughs) so this is not a great take on magneto no but it is part of continuity so it's it's not that he's acting out of character here um you know and the storytelling here is it's fine you know, I think Brandon Peterson does an okay job in in drawing this, and uh, you know, each of the characters are are playing a part, even if it's sort of just uh, kind of flat uh, in the way that they're. But it kind of blows, right? Like the whole story is just it's. Well, there's not much happening here. You know what I mean? It, it's Magneto comes to power. Magneto is challenged. Mag- Magneto beats his challenger, and there we go. He's still in charge. Uh, so not, not a huge shift here. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't hold this in high regard. It's didn't seem essential to me in any way. I can say that this is not the worst Magneto solo story that's ever been written, no. uh, which is good because we have that on our list. In fact, we have 195 X-Men stories on our list. Do we not? We do. Um, and at 165, we have another Genosha-based story that we covered recently, which is Cable 26 to 28, The Long Way Home. I thought that was better than this. What do you Yeah, think? no, I'd read that. I'd read that all the time more than this. All right. That has the sugar man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Brandon's art is better than what we saw in that arc, but that story seemed a little more cohesive than this. See, like, I've... I've never, never really cared about Brandon Peterson's art. Like, it's never been something I've liked all that much. It's something I think I've come to appreciate, especially his contributions to, like, Executioner's Song. Um, His style is very different here than it is in the early 90s. But um, I don't know. I don't think he's a bad artist by any stretch of the imagination. He kind of has a a Kubert kind of thing going on um, in the way that that he structures his faces and his... um, you know, his anatomy and things like that. I I honestly think a lot of my problems come from like mid to late 2000s, uh, Brandon Peterson, where I got the most exposure to him, mm-hmm. where he has a very computer rendered feel. And I don't know how much of that is the coloring versus mm-hmm. how much of that is. I think he was getting into digital art and stuff at the time. And 
if you look at it, it it's it's in that uncanny valley. It's in that dump. <laughs> I get it. I can't point to where you are technically wrong on this, but something doesn't feel right, man. Sure. All right. So we know it's going to be a lower than 165. How low do you want to go? I think this is better than 191 Magneto Volume 1, the Magneto story about Joseph. Yeah. And they do make a point of saying that the Joseph stuff is over as yeah, part of he this. died. He died in Magneto War right before this. Right. So that, that whole nuanced Magneto arc is done. Um, <laughs> is it better than Eve of Destruction, which is the sort of tail end of this particular story? We have that at 187. It's probably I know it's better than what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno. Yeah. Uh, but like I'm looking right up at right above Eve of Destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the Silver Age Avengers versus X-Men. You got the Shatterstar Saga. You got Psylocke and Archangel Crimson Dawn. You got the first six issues of X-Factor. And I think I think that's my ceiling is those first six issues of X-Factor. Those aren't good, but I think those are better than this. I do, too. I do too. So is this our new 184? 184 would be. Mm, that would Crimson, put it ahead of Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn is bad too. Yeah. Uh, Crimson Dawn is silly bad. Well, this is boring bad. <laughs> uh, I think I might have liked the art in Crimson Dawn better than this, despite the uh, the contortions they put Psylocke through. How did you how do you feel about this compared to the Shatterstar saga? <laughs> This does have a beginning, middle, and end, so I think it's got to it's got to get points for being a little bit better than the Shatterstar Saga, which is what. Okay, so for being an actual narrative, yes, uh, this will be our new number one eighty five Magneto Rats. Hey, fun fact about the Shatterstar Saga: you know the yeah. guy who wrote the Shatterstar Saga, no. uh, Jeff Loeb. Oh yes, you know where from? You know that yes. he just greenlit a Dazzler show. Dazzler and Tigra. Dazzler and Tigra, and it's is being it advertised. Is it not Tigra? As, oh, I always said, well, I guess it does make more sense if it's Tigra. She's oh a tiger God. lady. It's like I've been saying Magneto my whole life. Um, anyway, <laughs> did you see her? Did you hear how they advertised the show, though? They're two woke superheroes. <laughs> Look, this is going to be some interesting programming coming out of Hulu. It doesn't. Essentially, my entire reaction was because uh rumors about or i guess news pieces without the full press release were coming out before the press release hit so sure. i first saw that okay Mar- marvel and hulu have teamed up to do a howard the duck a modok a hit monkey and <laughs> which hit monkey might actually be the most obscure property that they've turned into a thing <laughs> uh and a tigra and dazzler show And my thoughts were, oh, my gosh, I am not sitting through 13 hour long mopey episodes of all this stuff. Maybe MODOK. But then they said, oh, these are actually 22 minute adult animated shows. And I said, I'm back on this. (laughs) I don't know. It's going to be real weird. And the fact that Kevin Smith is the uh, creator on the Howard the Duck show. I don't know. I, I that just, just mean, that just means Howard the Duck's never actually going to come out, and it's fine. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. We oh. might get the first episode, <laughs> and then the second episode will come a year later, and then the third <laughs> episode will be uh, indefinitely on hiatus. <laughs> oh, sick burn. Um, all right. So that's definitely a point of fascination. Um, I we'll, think keep so. you, we'll keep you updated. We should move yeah. on. Though. Well, we've got... Uh, 
the one of the earliest times uh, that Magneto fell into fascism, which is the introduction of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants now, right? This is yep. X-Men X- issues four and five. Yep, written by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. All right, Stan the Man, R.I.P. Uh, Jack the King Kirby. Jack the King Kirby, R.I.P. And uh, not not Jack's best work here. Uh, no. Either, you know. You can tell which books Jack Kirby cared about, and they were called Fantastic Four. And you can tell which books Jack Kirby would leave by like issue nine, and that's X Men. Yeah, yeah, this is um, this is some stuff here, um, but we do get introduced formally to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in issue four, which at this point consists of Scarlet Witch, Mastermind, Toad, and Quicksilver. Led by led by Magnus, led, Magnus. Led by Magneto, and they're kind of a fun bunch to hang out with. Here's what I like about the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in the Silver Age. Yeah, it's not Toad and it's not Mastermind because they they suck. Ah, <laughs> uh, Toad, I'm really sorry. How did Toad get into the first X Men movie? Like, it's a great question. Because they didn't write that with Ray Park in mind. They just got lucky. Uh, but like he's toad yeah it's the worst but if you go back to this era like he is always the the igor to magneto's dr frankenstein like he's always there kind of like oh magneto and i are going to be best friends yay and so so he's magneto's toady yeah exactly well done um well, but I you, didn't make that pun. Stanley and Jack Kirby made that pun in the '60s. I'm just, I'm just so shedding you, light on it. So you like the the Quicksilver Scarlet Witch angle? I do like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and on this team, and the reason why I am pretty vocally and adamant not a big Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch fan. Yeah, uh, they just they just don't uh, push my buttons. But in this era, they are anti-villains. Right. And that's super interesting. Like a uh, spoiler alert for the end of issue four, a story that came out in 1964. Uh, Quicksilver looks around and makes sure Magneto's not looking and says, no, I'm not going to let Magneto detonate multiple nuclear weapons. That's so stupid. I hate my boss. And he <laughs> runs real quick, gets rid of him and says, sorry, guys, and runs away. And that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an ongoing subplot is can they get Quicksilver to join the X-Men, but he's trying to protect his sister. Um, So this is a wacky, like both of these issues are jam packed with stuff happening. Um, You've got Magneto stealing battleships, taking over an army and a castle and there's a... Yeah, he takes over over a small uh, South American nation. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. just does it off panel for a list yeah so we've got the x-men trying to like invade his castle um you know there there's there's troops that are defending this castle um professor x sacrifices himself to save uh beast at one point and gets knocked out cold um there's like you said quicksilver disarms these nukes and then we get a whole nother issue that even more stuff is happening because we get round two of these guys going at each other. And this one goes into space to the first inc- uh, incarnation of Asteroid M. It does have Asteroid M. It also has a weird amount of escalation. Like, let's 
let's legitimately pretend that we are Ed Pisker and let's lay these out. And I was, I really wish I would have gone to my long box and pulled out a, a, Ed Pisker's very good book, whose which name I'm completely uh, Grand Design. Grand yeah, X Men Grand Design issue two, uh, because I want to reread what he did to make sense of this. <laughs> because here's the progression of the plot: Magneto steals a battleship. Also, right. the danger room gets introduced. It's a bad also, gymnasium. Also, Magneto mistakes Angel for a seagull, and that is an amazing moment in comics history that I absolutely guys. <laughs> Silver Age Magneto is such a dumb dumb. He's so stupid, Magnus. Magnus what are you, are you doing, doing Magnus? Magnus? What was that? It must have been a seagull. <laughs> he steals the battleship, goes to a South South American country, takes it over. The X Men come to his castle, fight the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, stop him from letting off two nukes. Mm -hmm. Magneto then enacts a plan to have Toad infiltrate a track and field competition that this they're watching on part. TV and that the X-Men are very excited about watching, except for Cyclops, which <laughs> he's acting like a jerk about it, but also track and field is only interesting to watch once every four years, and even then it's not that interesting. Uh, but they watch it, say, oh man, I bet this track guy is a mutant, which is a very Stanley and Jack Kirby kind of plot. <laughs> Go to the track stadium. Get this uh, track star on the bus with them. Uh, find out that he's wearing a Mission Impossible style rubber mask. <laughs> and that it's Toad. And then Angel gets captured by Magneto's flying magnet ship. Sent into space. And then the X-Men also follow into space using a trick and a ruse with Toad. And blow up Asteroid M and save Angel, and that's it. Yeah, we also find out that Iceman can, like, connect two parts of Asteroid M with an ice tunnel, and they can survive in the vacuum of space. That's pretty wicked. <laughs> so there are there are some interesting firsts. Oh, in wait. This. Oh, wait. They also, they also graduate. Oh, yeah, they graduate because Professor Xavier was just tricking them. I, I was forgot. just messing around, guys. I was fine that when I blew myself up on that door i'm good guys i was lying to you about my traumatic brain injury <laughs> i do still have my mutant powers i wanted to see what you would do against this nuclear arm wielding crazed menace named magnus uh it oh, doesn't man. go doesn't go great but there are some interesting firsts that i like oh yeah yeah, I think we forgot to say the the issue, Morgan. The X-Men are graduated, and it's issue five of the series. Yep. Yeah, they even have an editor's note at the end to be like, wait, more adventures are to come, even though they just graduated from school, and we've only seen these characters for five issues. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. But there's there are some first, obviously, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the Danger Room, Asteroid M, and very interestingly... This is when they figure out what Beast's deal is. You hmm. read the first three issues, he's the thing. He's dumb and strong. And here they say, what if he's smart and strong? <laughs> and it works. That's a good Beast. That's good. That was a great choice. Now they just have to make him blue and a furry. Yeah. 
and you, you'll get there. Um, but th there's so many like fun little quirky things here, but because there's so much going on in these two issues, it's hard to track. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about this escalation and, you know, each page, it just is like, whoa, you know, these are scenes that in a contemporary comic would take an entire issue and they take a whole, they take what a page. If that, you know, to develop a, a, a huge plot point. It was uh, actually interesting when I was reading it, I was able to, I was noticing that like, Oh, I would not expect, I would expect this to be a page turn, not a transition to a different scene. Like, right. It doesn't feel, it feels like they're just kind of making it up as they go along, which I think they were, but. Well, there's even, even stuff happening like panel to panel where you're like, oh, this, this, this sequence should be like a couple pages long, you know? We but, forgot the part where the Gray family shows up and they have to three his company, the mansion in oh, between right, all of right. this. This is so much comics. Yeah. Yeah. They fool the Greys. Mastermind can't find the X-Mansion no matter how hard he tries. He's like standing outside of a, you know, a, a normal suburban house. There is a lot packed into this there. And it's only like 40 something pages. So, um, you know, I think if you're looking through the Silver Age, you're, you're going to read this. Um, you know, you, you're going to go through your early couple issues. It's not essential, but it does introduce some concepts that are really essential to what X-Men are all about. See, I, for me, I had a copy of X-Men, the early years, number four, which mm -hmm. is a reprint of X-Men number four. There you go. Uh, it was, it was one of the first three X-Men comics I ever owned. Nice. So I have a lot of affection for this specific uh, issue. Well, this is problematic because I think we agreed before we started the show. Four is pretty good. Yeah, um, four is way better than five. Most of that crazy stuff happens in five. Five's yeah, five just balls to the wall. Five four is a, is a good contained story. Yeah. So we currently have the first issue of X-Men at number 140. Um, mm, we have... It's not better than that because of number five. <laughs> And it's definitely not better than the Wolverine bar issue with Nightcrawler being naked on the front. So, well, we have um, the Blob and Eunice rob a bank and then turns into a Lucifer story at 172. That's uncanny it's than 20 that. and 21. All right. So we have it's our between floor. those two. Um, so where is this thing going? This is a this is a weird kind of messy story with some good stuff and some really bad stuff. Is it better than? Extreme X-Men expose at 158. Um, geez. I don't think I would put it that high. Um, is it better than stairs? No. No. <laughs> is no. It better, and it's not better than Adam X, the extreme is back and things have never been no. done. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I think, I, I think it's better than the cable arc that I just mentioned, the long way home. What do you think about that? I'm fine with that. I think right. it's probably a little worse than that, but it's definitely better than no more or not. No more humans. Uh, uh, curse of the mutants. So I'm fine with having this be our new number. Nope. My Excel has just gone cuckoo <laughs> for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, this is our new 165. Yeah. 165. That's the, that's the ticket, Adam. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. All right. Let's get into it. Let's talk about some crazy fascist Magneto here. We've talked about this uh, arc on the show before. 
but let's get into it. Is this the most controversial story we've talked about? Because <laughs> I, I think I, it's up there. I don't know. Um, uh, this is Planet X, which is the end, the second to last arc of Morrison's run. Uh, which New is X-Men Morrison 146 to 150 with yeah. Morrison and uh, Phil Jimenez. Yes. Um, and I think we did talk about this at least introductorily um, when we did our Zorn episode. So this is the arc where Zorn takes his helmet off, reveals that he's Magneto. He's revisiting the idea of flipping the planet, takes over Manhattan, totally becomes a fascist. And uh, there's some wacky stuff that has to happen for him to go down. I think the actual Zorn plan is pretty bad. Mm. But once what like his okay, here's how I'm going to infiltrate the X-Men. I think infiltrating the X-Men is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I also think this story does a incredibly good job telling the story that it sets out to tell. Uh, okay, that is a really good distinction because I I just reread this um, within the last day or two, and I was surprised to say to myself, this is really well done. And there are some yeah, really, rules. There are some, rules. There are some really good story beats in it. And I still don't like this story very much, but I cannot tell you that it's not well done. Um, you know, have you, have you heard of this, this great Morrison cat? I think he might be good at comics. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of people's beef with this story and mine, uh, you know, as well is that the characterization of Magneto feels very deeply strange, even though we've established multiple times when we covered Eve of Destruction, when we talked about this on the Zorn episode, that this is in character for where Magneto was at this point in continuity. Um, it still is, is a hard pill to swallow, you know, because this is like straight up Silver Age Magneto going to flip the planet and turning but... into and turning into uh hey we're gonna march the humans into the ovens um yeah this that's a that's a lot silver age magneto but recontextualized in a very grant morrison way to the modern age or at least to 2004 Mm -hmm. and grant morrison does it incredibly well i cannot fault anyone for being upset with this story in fact like i I was talking to uh, one of our friends about this uh, and yeah, he mentioned, I get it. It's still a pretty crappy situation to have Magneto doing such explicit, like Nazi actions, like so directly connected to a, you know, massive genocide. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very tough pill to swallow. And I get it. That's, it's not cool. And honestly, I think this story, like that's that's pushing it a little too on the nose. I think this story could have been done just as well if you changed the method that Magneto was going to kill all the humans with. Like that's a that's a little too blunt of an instrument, and it's a blunt instrument that I'm not sure should be used to refer to the Holocaust. Like that's that's a that's a rough way to use something that you know there are still survivors of in the world and especially in 2004 it it also i think one of the things that morrison is driving home in this story which i hadn't thought about the first time but 
it's really something that he goes after is the fact that Magneto is essentially like coked up here. You know, oh yeah, he's, he's on kick. He's high on kick. He is really almost just like uh, he's really just out of control. And one of the things that he is demanding more than anything, and this is I feel like part of the Morrison commentary, is that people aren't really paying attention to him. Like he's taken over New York. He's willing to like exterminate humans, and yet he's really worried about his popularity and why people are not paying more attention and don't necessarily believe that it's him. Um, that's an interesting aspect of the story that I really didn't latch on to the first time I went through it. Um, but I think that's also a, a unique take on this character that I don't necessarily think falls in line with how a lot of readers see this character and what we thought we expected out of this character, even after the nineties. I um, like, I like Morrison's recontextualizing Magneto into irrelevant or old fashioned or not what the world needs now. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think Magneto having to struggle with that is an interesting character beat. I think, I think it's a great plot, but it's one of those things where Morrison's going to throw out an idea and maybe not go all the way and really dive into what that would mean. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like we may have talked about this during the Zorn episode, but it, it the core issue that I have with this is that Magneto is the center of it. What I have absolutely no problem with is what's going on around Magneto to defeat him. Um, oh, because it's great? Because like, Great Morse, it's good at superhero comics? Yeah, the the Gene and uh, and Wolverine stuff is really great. The Cyclops and Phantom X stuff is great. The Beak coming back uh, is... With his titanium baseball bat? I mean, like, all of that, it, it works so well. And it's it's told so well over the course of these, uh, what is this, five issues? Um it's incredibly smart and well done. And I think Jimenez does a great job with the artwork. Absolutely. Um, just, I, I think people are always going to have and, and take issue with this story because of the plot twist of Zorn being Magneto and what Magneto is and represents in these issues and what he does. So I think we've talked about the thematic and the character stuff. That's a challenge for this book. Mm -hmm. let's really let's really look at it from a craft and a story perspective because how many amazing page turns and just beats are there because you get yeah you get the dream is dead where we find out that it's magneto who's behind all of this mm -hmm. you get him taking over new york and destroying the x mansion in just a couple of splash pages because that's how like magneto has become myth at this point and that's how mythical he is. He just shows up and it says, yes, I've taken over the world. I'm that good. Now try and stop me. It's so great. You have the moments with Jean and Wolverine in space where he stabs her so that they don't run into the sun and she doesn't die a slow, painful death and walks out into space facing down the sun saying, you and me, Jeannie, at the end of the world. You get the Phoenix stuff. You get... <laughs> oh my gosh there's so much good stuff you get magneto slapping beak for thinking that vegetables can feel that one's a wacky moment <laughs> where he shouts vegetable at him and smacks vegetable. him to the ground <laughs> yeah um, uh i i think that 
out of context, it's a very funny moment. Oh, yeah. In context, it's also a very funny moment because it's yeah. beat. Uh, but you get a really good, uh, you get the really good part of like, that's when you, everyone knows. Cause that scene is right after, uh, march, marching the humans off to, uh, a bad fate. That is where you realize, oh no, Magneto's actually not just lost it from a moral standpoint. He is completely, he's, his, his mind's not there anymore. Right. Like the end of this story where Cyclops burns Magneto's face with his optic blast because he just hit him really hard right at point blank. And Magneto's demanding that people realize that I'm Magneto. I'm the one you should care about. And people are like, we don't like you. We don't care about you. Where's Zorn? We liked Zorn. So good. It is so good. Also, Magneto does uh, kill Jean Grey, uh, which is a little bit of an afterthought that I think, to be fair, Morrison spends in the entire next arc kind of dealing with the implications of and the ramifications of it but also 90s Jean Grey didn't she didn't have the best characterization and plots and I think it's literally taken until last year for Jean Grey to be relevant again Hmm. yeah I think that's valid um I think from a craft perspective, there's no way that you could look at this and say that it's it's poorly done. And I think that people's issues are going to be about the the characterization um, more than necessarily the storytelling um, or the artwork. So it sounds like you hold this in, in higher esteem. Um, you know, this isn't one that I revisit often, but I, you know, I think if it's looked at objectively, it's pretty darn good. Yeah. For me, look, I understand people's hesitations about this story. And guys, that's valid. If mm-hmm. you never want to read this again, if you hate everything about it, I hear you. I I understand where you're coming from. No shame on that. I will throw shame if you say Magneto's never done anything wrong and Magneto's actually a good guy because take this story out of it. Magneto's problematic at best and horrible at worst. Uh, which makes him great as a character, but not as a role model. All right. So let me throw something out at you. Um, at number I... 71, we have Captain America 367, which is um, the Magneto Red Skull story. Better or worse? I think this is way better than that. And I, right. I, I do think this might be the biggest gulf. Uh, let me hear your ceiling, and I want to tell you where my ceiling would be, just so we understand just how far off we would be from each other. Okay. Um, at number 58, we have Ultimate X-Men Volume 1 Tomorrow People. And because a you go... very in, similar story. Yes. Because you go into that series fresh, it's a lot easier to swallow the characterization of Magneto. Um, I would have a hard time putting it above 57 which is mojo mayhem um so and i realize that we have the pizza hut comics above (laughs) that but i'm looking and i'm seeing messiah war assault on gray malkin executioner's song i don't think this is better than those um so i assume you want to go much higher so let's hear where you want to go from my perspective yeah and i i love i love that we have such different feelings on this because i think Mm. it's it's very representative of like you who have been with these characters for longer than i have in general 
and me who tends to think i think a bit more in you know story structure in larger you know, like a meta sense of things mm-hmm. not which is the exact opposite of how we like can approach art because i don't know anything and you're like oh man this line works really tight here you can see how he did this thing here because you actually know that stuff uh which is great it's what i appreciate about you uh, but legitimately legitimately i think this is this is probably not as good as number 19 the brood saga <laughs> But that's that's the only one I can say for sure, which is a wild shift compared to where you're oh, at. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Really? You think it goes that high? Dude, when I read this again, I said, okay, I understand if people don't like this. This rules. I want to read all of the Morrison stuff again. This is great. So I'm hmm. I am in, in we are in an interesting spot. I think this is this is new territory for us. All right, what's, so, what's halfway between that? And okay. not because not that that's where we're going to end, but I think that's a good uh, a good place to look. That's about number thirty, which is X Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can see the argument for this going below X Club. I can. Well, I can, and right above that we have New X Men one twenty seven, which is the standalone Zorn issue. I okay, think this that, probably isn't better than the standalone. I Zorn think that issue. standalone Zorn issue is better than this. So, yeah. Okay. You know. I'm 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 willing to reassess based on that because this okay. is yeah this is not the best story in uh, New X Men. It's probably not the fourth best story in New X Men. If I'm okay. if I'm being realistic, because E is for Extinction exists, and several <sighs> other good things exist. Yeah, I mean, you're talking putting this ahead me, of some me, real classics. Let me let me throw this out here. Yeah, go ahead. X Factor Volume Three, Number One through Six: The Longest Night, which is the first arc of the David X Factor investigations. Yes, I think this is I think this is better than that, and I definitely think this is better than Giant Size and uh, the Daddy Cable Bugs President arc. Okay. Um. All right. So now I'm now I'm gonna find a new ceiling, and I'm kind of surprised that you want to put this ahead of the sinister Gillen stuff. Oh no! This is that's 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 that would be no that would be behind the sinister Gillen stuff. Okay. This would be, I would say, the new fort. I would propose the new forty-six. So put it behind examinations. Behind examinations, but above the first arc of the David X Factor investigations. All right. I think that that is a solid compromise, and I agree to your terms, sir. Guys, this has been a wild trip, and I'm pretty sure no one listening is happy. (laughs) Well, hey, if you if you're a Planet X hater, come at us like let's let's get into it. You know, honestly, honestly, I I would love to have good, reasonable level-headed discussions about this story because there's a huge amount to unpack and i don't think there's a lot of wrong opinions that can be had about it uh but more it's it's very interesting comics and i think more than anything else morrison gave x-men every issue something to talk about and something to unpack absolutely a lot of stuff going into this even what leads into this story is insane so yeah oh you're talking about the murder at the mansion (laughs) Murder at the Mansion, Weapon Plus. All I of this forgot about Assault on Weapon Plus. Dang. Yeah. Guys, guys, why is this not... Adam, why did we not do a Morrison podcast? 
because <laughs> there's only so many issues of it and we can't just do that every single time um, so, all right. so we've definitely we we've definitely established with this episode that uh magneto is uh is while nuanced in many ways is never right magneto's um, a jerk yeah and, people uh, say professor x is a jerk magneto's definitely a bigger jerk than professor x professor x is morally bad but generally actionably good Sometimes uh, he's actionably bad, but um, Magneto is, woo, he's doing some stuff here. Yeah, uh, that's great. This has been great, guys. Uh, let's finish up this episode because I think everyone is ready for us to stop talking about Magnus. Let's take a, take a breather, folks. Good breath, everyone, and hold woo. and release. <laughs> so... First off, I want to thank Classic X-Men for his great suggestion of Magneto Rex that allowed us to talk about better stories. Uh, thank you so much for that. I, uh, If you want to be like him, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. You can toss in a couple of dollars a month and you'll get an entire episode uh, crafted for you from us. And that'll be cute. <laughs> Adorable. It will be... It'll be a nice chibi episode that you can, you know... <laughs> You could put it in your pocket. You could put it in your pocket. Absolutely. <laughs> Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, guys, you can always follow me at adamrec.tumblr.com. Uh, now, you would go to my website at adamrec.tumblr.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, and I just put up on the Big Cartel store, um, which is adamrec.bigcartel.com. If you want to pre order your copy of Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion, I will be shipping those out at the end of March. So hopefully, you'll get a copy. Zach, where can people find you? Well, thank you for throwing it back to me. I know that's been a struggle for you. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but you can find me on XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the latest and greatest in uh, in X-Men stuff. Uh, actually, last week, as you're listening to this, but today as I record it, uh, a piece I wrote about uh, the Age of X-Men Alpha, and really the Age of X-Men as a whole, uh, went up on the MNT.com. Uh, so go check that out. I'm actually, for all the joking we've done about X-Men... I'm really proud of that piece. And I think that the age of X-Men has been a super interesting thing. So oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Maybe go check out my thoughts on that. Uh, then Twitter at Xavier files, uh, where I got stuff, uh, but <laughs> that does it. Hey, Adam, do you know what next week is? Uh, next week we are not alone. No, we are going back into the age of X-Men to discuss uh what leah williams has got going on uh because yeah. Le leah's great she's coming back on the show uh <laughs> after we essentially made her career i think is the right way to frame it okay let's uh, not get carried away <laughs> if there's one thing that episode is going to get is carried away and i'm very excited for it <laughs> uh, but until then guys this has been battle of the atom we hope you survived the experience get it